We are Chris and Beth Bruno, and this is the Walking With Podcast. We lead a team of brave and brilliant story work counselors and coaches around the country, all committed to helping you come alive. Join us as we explore the sacred landscape of the human heart at the intersection of theology, psychology, and ministry. In this season, we're inviting ministry leaders to join us to discuss the challenges they face as they lead and walk with others. Jesse French, welcome to the Walking With Podcast. Thank you. Great to be here. Can we just hear a little bit about who you are and what your life looks like? Yeah. So I live in Fort Collins, Colorado. I work for a ministry called Restoration Project that focuses on intentional fatherhood and intentional brotherhood. And so I've been lucky enough to work there for four and a half years. And yeah, I'm able to have my hand in a lot of different parts of the, of the ministry, some of the marketing, a lot of the connection with the men that we serve, help putting together some of the trips that we lead. And yeah, I've loved, loved being a part of that for, for the last several years now. I'm married and we have three kids who are nine, seven, and five. Full disclosure here, everyone listening. So Restoration Project is also an organization that I work with. And I get to work with Jesse. And so I'm super excited about this podcast today. Yay. Um, I, get to be, I get to be on a podcast with my boss. Yeah. Well. Awesome. Fun. Well, you guys are already doing a secret podcast for members only, which is super fun. You guys are great right. podcasters together as well. Yep. Well, so Jesse, you like you, that's a lot. You're holding a lot just as the father of young kids and leading a growing ministry that is national. Like how many volunteers are involved with Restoration Project these days and how many people like on the team do you lead directly as well? Yeah, so we probably have 80 to 90 really committed volunteers across the country. And so pretty substantial group there. And then our staff team is, is six, six wide. And I oversee two people pretty directly kind of in my role. And so there's a few, there's lots of moving parts. It's been fun and it's been growing. And over the last couple of years, your, what we've been asking you to do in the organization is to offer more leadership and that's required a lot more of you. And so, so uh, let's dive into one of the things that uh, is really on your mind and on your heart with regard to that. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to just chat with you guys about just the issue of feeling that my capacity is so much less than the need around me. And so with the, with the volunteers that we work with on one hand, with just the, the men as dads and as brothers that we're trying to, to call them to more than, and wanting to foster a relationship, we, we so value relationship within the ministry it's not just a, a content machine and so just feeling that that challenge of the need is so great and I, I love to interact with with all of these different people and yet my capacity feels 
feels so much smaller than what the, what the opportunity and the need might be out there. What a good question. So let's talk about that in, in your role and what you're doing with the volunteers and the participants and all that. But I can imagine, you know, people in all kinds of ministry, ministry is designed to be relational. And so yeah. when we are a pastor and there's one pastor and then you have the congregation, each person in the congregation only has one pastor but the pastor has all the people in the congregation. And right. usually what I've heard from guys in ministry leadership or pastoral leadership roles is like, I am everyone's best friend, but I can't have all of them be my best friends. And that's a huge challenge in the relational capacity side of things, let alone ministry is not, you show up at eight, you clock in, you leave at five, you clock out. It fills evenings and weekends and trips and all the, those kinds of things. So this is a real thing for us to navigate. The reality is you've got to think first about what your capacity is. Somebody like you, Jesse, and somebody like me, to admit that we have a capacity is an initial first step. Mm-hmm. That there is, that there is I, a limit to who I am and what I have to offer. And I don't think that we get into ministry thinking about that. I, I want to give all of myself to the work that I'm doing. And the, the reality that there may be an end to myself is not something where I start, right? right? And usually when we're, you know, younger, we get into ministry. And so our capacity as a younger person where we don't have kids at home, we're not in that higher level leadership or whatever, we have a greater capacity, but then we start to add layers to it of my own responsibility at home, uh, my own responsibility to my spouse, my kids, my school, my church, and and then also leadership in the organization. Capacity for the relational side of things can diminish pretty quickly. Hmm. Yeah, that's fascinating. So you're saying like the first sort of place of beginning to engage this is admitting there is capacity. And by that definition means it is not endless. Like there is (laughs) finite resources available. Which there is. And I think one of the things, no minister would say this out loud necessarily, but we have to admit that we are not God. Mm -hmm. We have to come to the place that I am not God. He is, and I am limited. And that's a reality. Well, I think here's the interesting thing about what happens to people in ministry who come to that point of realizing I have capacity, I have limited capacity, is that they've come to a place of building something where it's successful enough to stretch them more. And so the pattern has already been set, right? The habits have been developed over years as something is growing. And then you get to this place where it's grown so large and you realize the way I've been operating is no longer, you know, sufficient to carry me or to carry the, the care for all of these people that I have now following me. And I think that's the weird dilemma that so many ministry leaders get into. And so it catches them off guard, I think, when they realize this is not working anymore. What's going wrong? What's changed? And just need to step back and realize that. But it's such a strange disconnect because... For a long time, it has worked, right? Like right. by by the fact that it's been growing is proof that it has worked. And yet, I, I totally agree. There is this aha moment of oh, that we are 
we're at an inflection point where it is not sustainable to continue in the same way. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And I think even for, you know, the extreme extrovert or the, the person who is so energized by lots of people and heavy, deep conversations all of the time to, to realize when those are no longer life-giving that it's not that they are changing or their personality has changed. It's, the circumstances are way too much for even the, that kind of a person. So I feel like it starts with acknowledging that you have a limited capacity. And for someone who it has worked for months or years, that's a hard thing to do because you do, I love your term there, Jesse, inflection point. You do come to an inflection point. When in the ministry and life of Jesus, did he call his disciples? When did he create the, the 12? The very beginning, like. Right. At the very beginning. And I think that's one of the things that we don't do well in ministry because we live in a ministry entrepreneurial space is that it's like, I'm going to found an organization. I'm going to plant a church. I'm going to whatever. And I think in some ways there can be elder boards or organization boards that kind of start, but really at the end of the day, it's a few people that really hold the weight of the organization right from the beginning. And there's not an actual team right from the beginning that there's shared leadership and shared exposure and shared all those things. Now, Jesus was still giving leadership to the movement, but he wasn't holding all the responsibility to make sure all the loaves and fishes were distributed and make sure that there was enough wine at the parties that they were at, right? It was the shared responsibility from the very beginning. Mm. So the, the first thing I would say is let's look at our own limited capacity and acknowledge that. And then second, take a moment just to evaluate how much have, of the organization have I structured to be reliant upon me? And then what would I like to do about that? Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And <laughs> it feels like, you know, it does feel backwards often, right? Of the work needs to be done. And so at the beginning, it's way more efficient to just do it yourself. And so like, I'm, I'm sure you have felt that a lot, yeah. right? Of like, hey, we're trying to go here. And at the end of the day, the best return on energy is mine. And so I'll just bootstrap it, right? Right. Yes. Although I feel like this part of the conversation, we focused on an organization and kind of this larger entity. Jesse, I heard in your question in the subtext, kind of what do I do with disappointing people? Hmm. That there's a much more personal consequence to having limited capacity. And how do I sit with that? Because our capacity may not change. And the organizations that we've built, we're not going to fold right? And close the doors to. So how do we continue in this and hold this like uncomfortable, unwanted reality that we are going to disappoint people? I've heard Chris say several times, some variation of leadership is understanding which people you need to disappoint. And whenever he says that, I internally roll my eyes because I know it's true. And I hate that it's true. In my head, I, I want to believe no, Success actually is the universal approval of me and of our team, right? And so absolutely, I feel like that, that holding of 
the disappointment and of that limited resource and what that limitedness brings feels super real. And, and too often, I think for me, it can just spin into whenever that disappointment is felt, it, it just further fuels the plate spinning and of like, oh, that felt really, really hard. I hated when that person was frustrated with me. I'll just work harder and I'll do a better job of staying on top of it and making sure that people aren't let down. I, I feel like lots of times that's the reaction for me. It feels important to acknowledge I'm speaking to myself here. So not to you, Jesse, or not to anybody else listening right now, but we have to not only acknowledge our limited capacity, but we have to acknowledge our addiction to our capacity. Yes. Yes. And, and that there's something here that when I find my approval in the work that I do, or I find, you know, in my reputation or whatever it is that I develop, I develop, not the organization, but I personally develop an addiction to the, the fullness of the work or the, the happiness of the people that I'm working around or the lack of disappointment. And that feeds something in me that I need to attend to. I need to be aware of because ultimately if it's feeding that, then I am becoming less of who God wanted me to be because I've replaced him with my addiction to my capacity. Mm, that, that feels super important. And just even the articulation of that and the naming of that, I think is so healthy. And, and I think, you know, the inference it feels like can be in organizations, the more is better. Even just articulating, hey, we are addicted to our own capacity it just feels like mind-blowing like yes it's so true and it feels the truth shoved under the rug you know because it's because it's not talked about mm-hmm. well and what we're actually talking about is idolatry right we're talking about how our capacity has become our idol and that is what we're serving yes. versus continuing to serve god for being god and he's okay if i'm not everything yeah because he is and that ultimately we get to participate in something far bigger than us. And if we're addicted to our capacity, we're participating in something that's all about us. Fireworks are going off in my head right now. So it feels like as, as people in ministry, just even unearthing that reality of number one, we have a capacity. And number two, there is a significant draw to, to idolizing that, like, that feels, that feels really practical and really helpful to just begin talking about those realities within our groups. Yeah, on our teams, with our groups, uh, with our friends, with our spouses, it's, mm-hmm. it's important to bring out. But personally, I'm still just pushing back on what do we do to help make that shift in our own souls? That is what we're doing. And how do we stop doing that? If I can put it in some addiction terms, in some ways, I feel like we have to detox. If we don't detox, there will be an overdose. And if there's an overdose, there is a fall. There is some kind of break, whether it's a mental break, a moral break, a financial break, right? A a total burnout. If we don't detox, it will come to that. It will come to the overdose will kill us and then kill the very thing that we've worked so hard to build and the very thing that we love the most are families. So if we, we have to do some detoxing of that, 
And I think, you know, we were talking before starting to record the podcast about Sabbath and, and ultimately I think Sabbath is God's uh, commanded detox strategy. It's a commandment. It's a fourth commandment. And it is literally that you are not God. Let's remember it every week. Abraham Heschel talks about when people are asking him about Sabbath and they're like, well, how do you just, you know, you never get all of your work done, right? They're, the list is, is ever present. And so what, what do you do with that reality? And he just said, you rest as if all of the work was done, right? So the acknowledgement that no, it is not. And yet there is this choice to enter into deep rest, deep detox from the hamster wheel of lists and relationships. And I wonder if, you know, again, just practically speaking, we carry into that time, into that designated Sabbath time that we take each week almost a list of who we know we've disappointed, who we know we didn't get to, we didn't make that coffee. We didn't get that phone call in. And those people get pushed to the next week and maybe even a week after. And we just name that and offer it up to, to the Lord and just release it. I mean, maybe just that action, that rhythm in itself is not just detoxing, but it's part of that breaking the idolatry. Yeah, because it's, I love that because it's forcing the reality that that has happened versus the irrational looking at of like successes when there's no one on that list, right? But it's saying, no, there are, there are people on this list and Mm -hmm. I'm I'm willing to name it and sit with it and not scurry around to prevent Mm -hmm. having anything on that list. I think in these terms... In these terms, let's think about the first Sabbath. And so we see in Genesis, you know, one and two that that God created the heavens and the earth, and all the things were created, and he created humankind, he created two humans, and then he rested. But has and it's just like that, how many people were on the list of God that he had not yet come to create? There are only two out of billions and billions of people that he created. And that he, before those billions were created, he rested. It was good enough for now. And so we're going to rest. And the very first thing that, you know, the first humans were invited into was rest. He gave them the command to rule. But then right before they started ruling, he said, oh, but before that, we're going to rest. We're going to come yeah. to a place of Sabbath. And that in that too, right, that, that it's actually time the Sabbath that is the first thing that is holy God creates and he makes, and he does accomplishes so much and he calls it good, but it's not until he rests that he refrains from that, that he detoxes, that it's actually said, no, that is holy. I think the other thing too, that I would invite people to is as we were talking about capacity, as we were talking about the addiction to it is what part of your story feels stuck in those places where And when I say what part of your story is, you know, what part of those younger parts of you learned that your approval came through higher capacity, success, approval, attainment, you know, all of those things that are rewarded really well in our Western society, what part of your story first learned that? And is there a place there that God might actually be inviting your in your internal parts to rest from, from that attainment? Because it's not just been since you've been in ministry, it's been since you have really been alive that you've learned these things. 
Mm. And it's just playing out very conveniently in the work that you're doing. That there is no end to ministry. Right. And in many ways, filling our plate, our docket with all of the people who need us and want us or all of the things that demand our attention are, are very well looked upon strategies of avoidance. <laughs> That's a good way to put it that. Right? Yeah. Those are the most rewarded distractions to our internal landscape. Why would I stop when I could share with one more person? Why would I turn the phone off when someone might need me in their emergency? Isn't that the will of God? And the reality is, no, it's not the will of God. Well, in my mind, this has been a very rich conversation. And I hear a lot of people in ministry struggling through some of these very same things. And I, I want to go back to what I said uh, about if we do not detox, if we do not repent, if we do not move away from our idolatry, we will find ourselves overdosing and ruining the very thing that we are hoping to create. And I think far too often we have far too many examples in the world of ministry of people who have done that on the big scale. And I think a lot of examples that are unknown on the small scale that just continue to erode at the soul. So thank you, Jesse, for bringing that today. Yeah. Thanks for having me on and yeah, loved being able to chew on this with you guys. Thanks, Jesse. The Walking With Podcast is a product of Restory Labs, the digital laboratory of Restoration Counseling Center. And did you know under Restory Labs, we host another podcast called Thrive Marriage. If you or someone you know is married, subscribe to Thrive to hear professional and personal stories on topics relevant to couples who want more for their relationship. You can learn more about us on our website in the show notes, and we'll see you same time, same place next week.